Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast and now the Finding Genius Foundation. Quick note about the foundation. Uh, We've started on our project to look for all the possible treatments and cures for anxiety and depression. Uh, To find out more about this project and the, uh, you know, to help assist in some way or another with the thousands of resources that we need to go through to make this compendium of knowledge, go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org. And today my guest is Dr. Marvin Singh. He's the founder of the Pressioni Clinic, a health institute at UC Irvine. And we're going to talk about uh, how he works uh, with uh, gastroenterology. So Marvin, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, you giving me the opportunity to chat with you today. Yeah, no problem. Well, tell me uh, about your work. What do you do within gastroenterology? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a loaded question, too, because I do a lot. I actually have three different kinds of practices. I have a general gastroenterology practice where I'm just like uh, any other GI doctor and do colonoscopies and things like that. I am the director of integrative gastroenterology at the University of California in Irvine um, with the Susan Samueli Integrative Health Institute. And I have uh, my own uh, private clinic called Precision Clinic, uh, where we do a lot of precision medicine and help people optimize their health and really understand what it truly means to be healthy. And that's really my main passion. What is the most interesting part of the work that you're doing right now? Is it the precision medicine? Yeah, I mean, within the field of integrative medicine, I really developed a, a fascination with precision medicine. And early on, I kind of felt like, hey, you know, what if we we're able to look at somebody's microbiome and their genes and their sensitivities and what environmental exposures they have, their mitochondrial health and all these kind of different parameters. What if we were able to look at all of these things and tell somebody what they can do to optimize their health and to mitigate any problems that are identified? 
what if we did that and put them on a regimen, what would happen? And, you know, I did some of this stuff to myself early on and saw some great changes in my health and started doing it with other patients and saw great changes in their health. And that's really what gave birth to Precision Clinic, uh, which is where we take this unique approach to uh, precision medicine. Well, tell me what you did to yourself and what happened. So, um, you know, making some changes. Uh, I This is maybe, I don't know, five years ago now. I was probably around 200, 210 pounds or so. Uh, overweight, uh, not eating well, feeling tired all the time, having heartburn, fatty liver. Those are some of the things that I had. And I made some changes uh, based on, you know, things that I learned and having gone through Andrew Weil Center for Integrated Medicine's uh, fellowship uh, program and uh, started to see some, you know, remarkable changes in my health and life, even within a short period of time, within a few weeks. And I lost about 30, 40 pounds, felt more energetic, was sleeping better, was uh, just performing better just in life and in work. And really, you know, as a doctor, busy working, you know, uh, doing everything as routine, you don't really appreciate that you yourself might actually not be as well as you think you are until you actually do these things. And then you see these changes and you're like, wow, what, what a remarkable improvement doing, uh, you know, these certain things uh, uh, can make on your health and using, you know, natural therapies when possible and uh, really kind of eating in a way that is personalized to you and, and what your microbiome and genetics uh, would suggest. So what, what are some examples, you know, either with things you did, like how things affected you, certain foods, or if there's a, you know, an anonymous patient that you have, they have an interesting story you could talk about. I just want to get into some details. What's changed? What was affected, et cetera? Yeah. So uh, I guess we can use a, an example of a, of a patient of mine that came to see me uh, probably about a year, year and a half ago now, um, and uh, came to see me actually not for gut stuff. So she had a lung issue, and I'll try to be as uh, non-specific as possible just to protect the uh, you know confidentiality and stuff. But that was one of the main concerns is that you know she was having issues with recurrent lung infections and breathing and had poor exercise tolerance. And we did a bunch of different kinds of tests and looked at um, genetics and microbiome and put her on a regimen. And uh, as part of the process, we identified that she had a couple of genetic issues that pertained to uh, lung disease. Um, One was an alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, and the other was uh, she was a carrier of a cystic fibrosis gene. And this was not known before, and uh, she took this information back to her lung specialists, and they were fascinated by it, and we put her on some therapies, including some natural therapies uh, to help reduce inflammation and improve immune function, and, you know, uh, th- these kind of things take time. It's not like an overnight uh, cure or forward now, and, you know, recently, about a year or so, now it's uh, like she's a totally different person. She can run uh, uphill. She has better exercise tolerance, feels more energetic, and uh, really life is totally different. So this is an example of how you can use personalized information and make strategies based on the results that come out of that, and then um, execute those uh, strategies and see what happens. So are these all clinical strategies so far, or is this also tying back to research that you want to, that you are working on or you want to work on? You know, these are, these are, this is clinical application of the information that you get. And, 
using that uh, to help guide people in the right direction. And I should say, you know, it's not just a one and done oftentimes because a lot of things shift and change in your environment and your microbiome. So really requires, um, you know, an ongoing evaluation, especially if there's an active issue to try to continue to um, help people as they process. So what do you notice clinically? I'm sure you've dealt with hundreds or thousands of patients. You know, when someone changes their diet, you know, what happens day one, two, three, four, five, day 10, day 20? Like, what have you noticed that your patients are telling you about their experiences when they make the changes you recommend? And what do you see? Yeah, how fast changes occur depend on probably a lot of different factors and what's going on with them and what they're, you know, what factors are impacting their lifestyle present time. But, you know, some people can feel better within weeks, um, especially if you're making big changes in their diet, if they're eating poorly. And, uh, you know, and it's not really to blame the person because kind of the way that we eat, especially in this country, is almost a cultural thing. You know, uh, people eat in certain ways and they don't know that it's actually bad because there's a lot of misguidance in the media and, you know, in the food industry with regards to what is actually good and what is not good. So it's not like they're, you know, I don't think anybody purposefully eats in a way that is bad for them because why would anybody want to make themselves sick on purpose? But I think when, when you open uh, somebody's eyes to what they're eating and how it could be impacting them and how they can make those changes and then guide them, you know, every step of the way, uh, you can see changes within weeks. And, and that's kind of what happened with me. Yeah, the first 10 pounds, I think I lost uh, probably within the first two to three weeks. It doesn't go that fast all the time. Uh, subsequently to that, it may be a little bit slower, but you could see some some big changes within a short period of time. But oftentimes it may take a few months, two, three months, you know, before somebody starts noticing systemic changes in their body, like maybe their joints don't ache as much. Maybe they don't have stomach aches anymore. Maybe they have more energy. Um, so it, it really depends on a lot of different factors, what's going on with them at the time they actually present the first time. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from $10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Well, what was hard for you to do or not do? And what have you noticed is, is very hard for you know, patients to do or not do in order to, uh, to get the benefits of this approach? I think, you know, uh, modifying your lifestyle is probably the hardest thing to do. I mean, anybody can take a pill or a medicine or a supplement, even if you tell them to take it. But the lifestyle things are a little bit harder to do because that requires somebody to actually physically make a, a change in, in how they are living. And I often tell people, because this is what I did to myself, I may tell, we may talk about 10, 12 different things that should be changed, but, uh, you know, please don't try to make all those changes at the first go at it, you know, right at the same time, because it's like saying, you know, you have 10 projects to do and go ahead and start them. I mean, you're not going to be able to really start 10 projects simultaneously unless you have 10 copies of yourself. So 
I usually tell people just start by making one change a week. If that means that this week, instead of putting brown sugar in your oatmeal, you put blueberries, then hey, that's one change that you've made and just do that for a week and then build on that. The next week you make another change and another change because one change a week is manageable. And what happens though, is that once you start making one change a week, automatically on your own, when you start seeing changes in your health, you'll, you'll be making two or three changes in a week and you, you won't even be doing it on purpose. So the incremental benefit happens there. And then um, you just continue to make progress and progress. And that's kind of where the saying comes from, where I tell people, you know, just like you feel like your health can snowball out of control, it can actually snowball into control. And that's kind of what happened with me. I started making some slow changes and I started seeing some changes in my health and started losing weight and heartburn went away and liver enzymes started normalizing. But then I reached, uh, you know, uh, then, then I reached an, uh, an, an area where I was uh, plateauing and I felt that maybe I was not missing something. And I started adding more things as we go along, like making sure my sleep was better, making sure my I was trying to meditate. So I didn't try to do all these things at one time. And then it, it picked back up again. So don't put pressure on yourself to change your diet, change your sleep uh, habits, change your you know, stress reduction techniques all at one time, because we're human at the end of the day, right? And we can't do all these things at one time if we try to do them at one time and set that as the expectation, there's a higher chance you're going to fail. So just, just start slow and uh, easy does it, and you'll eventually get there. Everybody has their own pace. No, that's good. What role do uh, probiotics, prebiotics, fermented foods, et cetera, play in your clinical treatment? You know, uh, they can certainly help uh, if somebody has a need for them. Uh, I look at microbiome information to try to help make that judgment. If there's a lack of diversity in the microbiome, uh, then we may talk about probiotics and then giving some prebiotics to help feed those good bacteria. And then we may even talk about eating fermented foods um, because fermented foods will give you the nutritional benefit of the food itself and also give you a dose of probiotics as well. Really, the best uh, probiotic is, is going to be uh, good nutrition, essentially, because by giving your gut microbes all the food and nutrients that they need to flourish, uh, that's really the best gift you can give those microbes. And in return, they will grow and do good things uh, for you inside of the ecosystem. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. But if everyone's microbiome is, you know, different and unique and diverse, you know, how do you know, okay, I'm, I'm adding the right bacteria or I need to add, you know, two cups of acidophilus and one cup of <laughs> bifidobacteria? Like, how do you know the recipe to help somebody? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I don't know that we have all of the information we need to make that uh, precise of a, a recommendation at this time. There are some companies who are working on making precision probiotics for people and using data that we know about certain patterns and giving uh, probiotics based on those patterns and their background history and symptoms and, and following that and adjusting the formulation as we go along. So we, we can try to make that attempt, but, you know, science is always growing and changing. And so as, as we learn more and more, we may be able to get more and more precise. I don't really get fixated on one particular bacteria or the other. 
because what, what the truth of the microbiome is that we want a diverse microbiome and we want the microbiome to be performing the functions that we would like it to perform for our health benefit. So if you look at things from a global perspective uh, that way, it becomes a little bit less confusing. So if the goal is to diversify the microbiome, if you find that you have lack of diversity, then how can we make the microbiome more diverse? And those are, that's how we can make that strategy. And if that means you take some broad spectrum probiotics and then you follow the microbiome, you retest again, see what happened, um, you know, that's, that's, that could be one approach. I don't know. What's, what's the future of this treatment to refine it, to personalize it, to make it better? What do you see needs to now be innovated or now be done to help people more effectively? I think it would be great if we can, you know, we know that there's a lot of diseases, chronic diseases that can be associated with alterations in the microbiome. What would be fabulous is if we can really kind of hone in on exact patterns of microbes that are consistently seen in certain conditions, and then figure out what are the strategies we can implement in order to uh, fix the problem that is identified or the imbalance. And how do we keep that problem uh, continually fixed, basically? So this is what translational medicine means. So you find out what the problem is, and then how can you clinically translate that? So for example, if we know that, I just make it up, you know, just use a, use a condition Parkinson's disease, for example. We know that there could be alterations in the microbiome that could be a risk factor for Parkinson's disease. And so if we can identify that even before, it would be even better if we identify that before uh, somebody presents with Parkinson's disease and uh, we can make the intervention that has been outlined in the literature as being successful in making changes to the microbiome, then perhaps one day we'll be able to prevent Parkinson's disease from occurring. That's the future. Uh, that's, that's probably the future of, of gut health. We're not there yet, but I know that uh, that's, that's likely going to be the desire of all the scientists because that's where the best interventions could be made. Um, even though you're, you, know, you work in the gastro area, since you're involved with microbiome, do you look at people's others, like other microbiomes, like women? You know, do you have to look at the, their vaginal microbiome or you know, in men, other microbiomes in them that are affecting their health, not just the gut one? Or is it, have you observed that you take care of the gut, you take care of the eating, everything comes along for the ride positively? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, uh, there are trillions of microbes just in our gut and even more all over our entire body. The gut is obviously the major focus of science and research because it's, it's, it's likely the headquarters of, of all the microbes on the body. But we do know there are microbiomes in other places like the vaginal microbiome, the oral microbiome, uh, you know, so there, those are just a couple of examples, the skin microbiome. And there is science and research uh, with regards to these uh, microbiomes as well, but interventions with regards to those are probably less defined at this time. But I know it's a growing area of interest in science and hopefully that'll be another way as well. We know that there may be some connections between um, uh, some of these uh, various different ecosystems. And that's why I called the gut the headquarters because uh, my feeling personally, you know, is that the, the microbiome that sits in the gut is the, the mainframe, you know, and uh, it communicates with all the other microbiomes to, you know, handle different functions and issues. And when there's some 
issue or problem that occurs, uh, that's where you may have uh, some disease or some uh, problem occur, whether it be psoriasis or eczema or a lung condition or, or, or what have you. So what is the future of your work? What does it look like to you? I'm just going to, uh, you know, I hope I can reach as many people as possible. Uh, this is a very uh, unique approach. It really kind of redefines uh, what it means to be healthy, you know, using personalized information that is from your body and using that to drive recommendations rather than reading about, oh, statistically, you know, uh, what your issue might be and uh, what interventions might be helpful. Looking at you yourself and what's going on inside of you to help you optimize your particular risk factors. That's really where the future of medicine is going to be. And I hope I can continue to reach as many people as possible. Um, I wrote a book called Rescue Your Health, which will be out later this month. And that's really one of the tools that I thought I would prepare to help everybody kind of get an idea uh, of what precision medicine really means and, and why it really can be a game changer in how we define health. Yeah, excellent. Marvin, um, okay, so where can people get your book? I want you to restate the name. And then where can people find out more about your work in particular? Yeah, my book is called Rescue Your Health, and uh, it will be available on Amazon before the end of the month, uh, September. And the website is rescueyourhealth.com for the book. My personal website, I have two, actually. One is drmarvinsingh.com, and the other is precisionclinic.com. It's precision with an E. Very good. Well, Marvin, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. And it's been an interesting call. And uh, I'm glad you're looking into alternative things like microbiome and not just, you know, the normal gastroenterology stuff, you know, the poking and prodding and cutting and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I always tell people, you know, there's two kinds of doctors. There's the kind of doctor that will rush into a burning building if you're um, stuck in there and save your life. And we're always going to need those kind of doctors. I actually practice that kind of medicine, too. Um, It's very fulfilling. Uh, then there's the other kind of doctor that says, hey, why, are you ev- why were you even anywhere near that burning building in the first place? Let's figure out how to prevent you from even being near that dangerous situation. And that's where I think uh, the, the fun part is, because if we can prevent people from getting sick, then their qualities that they like are all going to be for them. They're all you know, at the end of the day, be happy we'll enjoy our, and have a career and just enjoy being uh, human. And uh, uh, hopefully this approach will help more people do that. Very good. Without just saying, Marvin, thank you so much again for coming. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.